0: on our last episode of craving answers craving god we took up the subject of marriage if you'd like to hear that conversation it is episode 44 we felt like there was more ground to cover so today on craving answers craving god we'll do part two of our discussion on marriage I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, in part one of this conversation, we defined marriage as an institution ordained by God. In Mark chapter 10, we read Jesus' words, quote, "...but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife." and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Is this so-called one flesh union poetry or reality?
1: I really like that question because um, I'm a huge fan of poetry. I was a, a English major in college, and uh, I'm one of those people who thinks that uh, there's not really much of a, uh, a difference sometimes between good poetry and reality, and that poetry's job is to get at reality. Poetry, uh, concrete images, tactile images that tap into some sort of idea or concept that couldn't be got at. Or if, they, if, they, if you can get at them, it's a long, circuitous route to get to them. So one, for, for people who are uh, Bible fans, we could do a lot of English poetry too, but The Lord is My Shepherd is one. You know, is that is that poetry or is that reality? Is the Lord really my shepherd or is that some sort of like figure of speech? And of course the answer is there's really not a distinction there. He's not actually literally, we're not actually literally sheep. But to say that the Lord is my shepherd gets into some sort of deep reality that it would take, you know, it would take 10 minutes to explain what it means that, you know, God is a provider and God takes care of us and God makes sure we're fed and he protects us from... Uh, wild beasts that try to uh, destroy us. But the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, like boils it down and sticks it into one concrete example. So the phrase, the two will become one flesh, uh, is it poetry or reality? It's actually both. Um, Two becoming one flesh is actually sex within marriage language. Um, Literally, when a husband and wife um, uh, experience physical intimacy with each other, they become one person but it's not just in sex. The sex is a manifestation of a larger reality, which is, is that God has taken these two people and he's made them one unit. He's put them together and he's made them one unit in a way that's designed, That so that we've talked about this in here before, That's that, that text that you just quoted is from Genesis chapter two. That's designed to reflect what the previous chapter told us about who we are in God's image. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three people but one God, designed humans to be in their image. And when they do that, they the first picture they create of that is a man and a woman who they design to become one flesh. We're designed to look like God. And in our marriages, we are, so whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, our marriages are designed to reflect who God is. And when we live in our marriages as though we are one flesh, we do a way better job of reflecting who God is than we do when we think, well, I'm not, that's one flesh. I don't know what that means, but I live my life. She lives hers. We come together for some important events and, you know, take care of the bills and when we need each other. But that's really not a way to reflect who God is. And because it's not a way to reflect who God is,
0: it's a really, really bad way to do a marriage. So I wish I could quote exactly what you just said there. Uh, something like when a man and a woman come together in marriage, mm-hmm. So that's a sexual reference. Yes. Uh, they become one flesh. Right. There are lots of people in our country, maybe all around the world, who are coming together in this way who aren't married. Right. And next week, they'll come together with somebody else and they're not married. Yeah. So is that a one flesh union? Well,
1: yeah, so it's, uh, um, yeah, but... It, not in the way that God's talking about. It. It's a cheap, artificial replication of it. And um, you know, it's, you can fake this sort of thing, but it's not real. It's not real. And the reason why it's not real is because there's no covenant commitment. Uh, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are committed to each other. They live for and with and in each other. And when God asks those of us who are married to be covenantly committed to our spouses, he means... They become you they they belong to you, and you belong to them. you live for them, they live for you. there's no getting out of that, there's no abandoning it for better or worse, we say for richer or poorer, and because of that, look so um, we get a little a little um pastoral counselor voice on here when i when I counsel people who are having struggles in their marriages uh or when I counsel, let me just say this. I'll, I'll do, let me go in the back door here. When I counsel people who aren't married but have been engaged in a physical intimacy with other people, and they end up struggling with, and this isn't just me. This is you can. There's lots of literature about this. They end up struggling with emptiness and loneliness. One of the reasons why is because they cheap, they cheap one flesh. They try to cheap the one flesh reality by getting the easy uh, hookup sex relationship. And so what happens is is they, they, uh, they give themselves to somebody physically. They take off their clothes and they're naked with somebody else. But inside their head, they refuse to become naked. Inside their head, they put up a wall to protect themselves. It's inevitable because they know... I can't let myself, I can't give myself to this person because I'm leaving in a little bit. I can't give myself to this person. And, and even if they are like, and even if it's not, uh, even if it's not a hookup situation, but it's a long-term, you know, they've been, whatever, they've been together for a long time. As long as one of them knows, the other person could get out of this, no questions asked. As long as that's in their head, as long as it's in their head that if I need to, I could get out of this, no questions asked. Then what they're doing with their body and what they're doing with their mind and with their heart and their soul are two different things. And that's a great way to have psychological distress. That's a great way to ramp up anxiety, to ramp up loneliness, to ramp up depression in your life. And the reason why is because God designed sex to happen inside covenant commitment. God designed sex to be a complete giving of yourself to somebody else in that moment that matches up with the complete relational and psychological giving of yourself to that person. And that's the only way that sex really works well. And when it, when those two things don't go together, psychological distress is going to happen. And now what we can do is here, I just cut you off. I know, and I'm sorry, but what we can do is we can talk about people who, um, you know, there's a myth that, you know, old married couples, uh, you know, they, they have bad sex lives. And the reason why is not because they're married. It's because they've left that covenant commitment. Even though they, they, they've married and they've stayed married, they've stopped living for each other. They've stopped living transparently with each other psychologically. They've stopped living to learn the other person better. They've stopped talking. They've stopped having conversations. Again, pastoral counselor voice. If you stop talking to your spouse, you're not going to have sex. The, the, the biggest portal to a healthy sexual relationship is conversation inside of covenant commitment. And... So it's not that the marriage, you know, if married people don't have good sex life, somebody might say, well, like, I hear what you're saying, Aaron. Yeah, it's covenant commitment. Yeah, but I know lots of married people. I might be a married person who has a lousy sex life. Well, the problem isn't the marriage. The problem is, is that you're not living out that covenant commitment. I mean, you might be married, which is great, but being married and like living for the other person is the way to have this to becoming one flesh reality in your life.
0: You have three kids, a couple of adolescents, and one who will be an adolescent in not too long a time. Mm -hmm. How are you raising your children so that they have a good chance to arrive at this place that you're describing, when it seems to me that almost all the voices that they're hearing in the world are working in the opposite direction? It's like... You would almost have to shout in order to yeah. communicate with how are you doing
1: it well i mean we just got to talk about this stuff and be in be in the bible uh, um so that they can see that the way that god has designed the world to work is a specific way and it works better well, you know so when god says don't have sex outside of marriage it's not god being like i know that you guys think this is fun but me being god and all i don't want you to have fun and so don't be doing this it actually reflects who God is and his character and the way he designs the world to work. Uh, you know, if, if you, you know, my son, uh, um, it's actually my, my youngest daughter now is into the Legos. If she gets a Lego set and the Lego set has directions to build a certain thing and she decides, I don't need the directions, I'll just like try to make it on my own. It's not going to turn out right because the directions are there in order to produce the good, you know, the, 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 the Lego construction the way it should be. It's not that the people who make up the Lego booklets are mean and cruel. I know that the, as I'm saying, this example is a bad example. Cause the Lego movie, if you've seen it, it's actually about that. How, how, you know, following the instructions is like, that's, uh, you know, very restrictive and the good master creators can build whatever they want. I know that that's true. It's a bad example. Just play along with me. The people who make up the Lego booklets that say, okay, so you're going to make the Hogwarts castle from Harry Potter. Here's the directions on how to do that. They're not like, aha, we're in charge. We'll boss this little you know, 11-year-old girl around. They actually know that like, if you want to make the Hogwarts castle with this collection of bricks, following these directions will do it. God's the same way. He says, here's the directions on how do you live your life. And if you actually want to have a good sex life, this is an important thing for me to tell my kids. If you want to have a happy, good sex life. Following the directions is important because, like you said, the entire culture is against them. Since the sexual revolution, we've been telling ourselves the lie that sex is the most important thing in the world. And if you're not having sex, then you're somehow, you know, you're some sort of weirdo or you're behind the times. We're also, uh, we also tell ourselves, our culture tells tells us that sex isn't a big deal, like Uh, whatever it's not a big deal just what just have sex if you want to these two things of course can't possibly be true together sex can't possibly be both not a big deal and the most important transcendent thing in the universe but our culture is hammering us into this into our kids and so they're struggling with this also their biology is uh uh running against them too because god designed us to want to have sex God also designed us to hit be puberty. fruitful
0: and multiply yeah. it comes right away in the first couple of chapters of Genesis.
1: Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I hate to be complaining here and I, I don't really have a good alternative to this, but you know, God designed us, to, he, he, God designed our sex drives to ramp up when we hit puberty, of course. And, um, well, we are living in kind of a bad moment culturally for, for adolescence. So for, first of all, adolescence is a made up thing. That's actually kind of a, a recent innovation being a teenager used to be, you know, um w- with nutrition such as it is you know you'd live your lives and you know mid-teens you'd hit puberty a couple years after that you'd get married well now with nutrition uh, kids are hitting puberty really early and with the need for advanced education in our culture uh, a-, a lot of people feel like we can't get married until we go to school and go to college and now um, a lot of people need master's degrees and so there's this gap between when you hit puberty sometimes is you know, for girls, it's earlier, sometimes as early as 11 or 12. And when you get done with grad school, which is, who knows when that is, you know, 24, 25, 26. And so you have this, you know, 10, 12, 14 year gap where you are battling. If you're committed to living, if you're committed to being faithful to your spouse or to your future spouse, there's this, you know, decade and a half gap for some people where they're fighting their biology. And I really don't know. I don't, I don't have any, I just raised that and I don't have any good options for how to fix that. It's the world we live in now, except for just be faithful and, uh, you know, to tell my son, be committed to your future spouse. You may or may not know who that is yet, but that's who God has designed for you. And God wants you to have an amazing, amazing conversations with this woman, uh, you know, amazing uh, uh, home, amazing decisions that you can make together, amazing vacations, an amazing sex life. And to focus on that and to be thankful for that gift that God is going to give you in the future and to live even now in a sort of proto covenant commitment with that woman who you don't even know yet. That's the best way to handle this, I think.
0: Okay, I want to change direction here a little bit. A pastor friend of mine once told me a story. He, the pastor, had an appointment to counsel a husband and wife who were working through marital difficulties. And after getting settled in the pastor's office, the husband said, Pastor, you tell her to submit to me. Which I guess he thought was going to solve all the problems. <laughs> Indeed, Ephesians 5.22 says, quote, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Was the husband in the story on solid biblical ground? Uh, no, he
1: wasn't. And I'll tell you why. It's one of the reasons why we never proof text. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes you do proof text. You When I say proof text, pull out a single Bible verse and say, here it is. That's what's got to be the case. Uh, the you know the, the Bible isn't a series of decontextualized statements. It's a it's a story. It's a written story, and that guy can say that. And so he's that's definitely in the Bible. Ephesians five twenty two definitely says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But. What he what he what he hasn't done is he hasn't read the previous verses and the verses that follow. So if you're ever going to study the Bible, actually this is the way you read Shakespeare or the way you read Kurt Vonnegut or the way you read poetry, or, or the way you watch a movie. You don't just watch a five second clip and say, okay, and I know what this movie's about. You, you, you know, you, you got to get the whole context. And so if you read, if, if this if this guy wanted to be biblical, he would have read just a couple verses before this verse where it says. Submit yourselves one to another. And so, okay, yeah, so wives are supposed to submit to the Lord, submit to their husbands. Husbands are supposed to submit to their wives too. If he read just a little bit, uh, a couple verses after this verse, uh, maybe even just one verse after this verse, he would have read, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so if, if you walk into a counseling appointment and you say to your uh, to, to your counselor, tell my woman, that she's gotta submit to me. The Bible says, so there's two things you're doing wrong there. One is, is you're not obeying scripture because scripture says, love your wives like Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. And if you're demanding submission from your spouse, you are not giving yourself up for her. The second thing he's doing wrong is he's uh, blowing his marriage up. I can't think of anything more stupid to say to somebody that you want to participate in, in life front of with the you.
0: Pastor, nonetheless.
1: Yeah, and then say, hey, you have to submit to me. That's just not gonna work. Like you know, you, you catch more uh flies with honey and and all that. So no, he's not actually being biblical because he's not submitting to his wife. He's not submitting to Jesus, who's called him to love his wife like Jesus loved the church. And that means, you know, you know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't come here and say, All right, I'm in charge. Everybody bow down. Jesus came and he was beaten up and he was abused. And he, and he lost washed his, his life. Disciples' feet. Yep, he washes. That's a great example. He washes disciples' feet, and he served. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if that dude would sit in that counselor's appointment and say, "You know what? I've got this all wrong." Turn to his wife and say, "I'm going to be like Jesus. I, I, from now on, I have not come into this marriage to be served, but to serve you, and to give up my life to benefit you." Uh, he'd find his wife doing all kinds of things he wants her to do. But instead, whenever he plays Hitler and says, I'm, you know, uh, I'm the Lord here. Everybody bow down to me. It's just going to blow his marriage up.
0: So mutual domination, I think we can say is not possible. It's not possible for husband and wife to dominate each other. One of those is going to prevail. Yeah. The other one is going to be dominated, but is mutual submission possible. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about submission is, is that
1: uh, I'm never going to be in charge of my family in the sense that everybody does what I want them to do. I'm never going to be in charge of my church. I'm never going to be in charge of my friends. What I can do is serve them. I can serve my wife and my kids. I can serve my friends. I can serve my church. And if all of us are doing this together, what happens is I find that instead of me living for myself, I've got four people in my house who are totally bent on bettering me and taking care of me I've got a whole church pe- church full of people who love me and who are willing to forgive my faults and who, who are you know interested in caring for me physically and psychologically and you know mentally and spiritually and and all that and the other thing we find too is that uh, people are called you know if you live in a context like that um, so just get, so you, so let's say you got a family of five people and uh, one of the people decides I am going to be in charge here. I am going to use. I am going to manipulate all these people to do what I want. Uh, what's going to happen is, is that you've got the four other people who, by living lives of service, they call not just by action, not not, not just I am sorry, not just by example, but by lived reality. They call this other person to repent and to serve. And I know that this is difficult sometimes because I know that there are, I know, there is such a thing as codependent relationships, where people they do this the wrong way. The wrong way to do this would be to let people walk all over you. That's not what the Bible is saying. Sometimes serving the other person, submitting to the other person, is saying, "Hey, hard conversation here, but you you really can't treat me like that." And here's why: it's not because I want to be in charge of you, but because it really hurts me, and, and I I know you want to love me, so. If you live in a context where people are loving and serving each other, say, my example, four people, that one other person, it's hard to like manipulate four other people who are determined to serve this person in a real legitimate biblical way and serve each other because the example is not there. And also, they're not going to play ball. They're not going to kowtow. And the other thing is this, is that, and this is, I'll just, here's a slice of my life. When one of my kids decides I'm going to run this house, and then I decide the way to deal with this is to make them bend the knee to me. You're not going to run this house. I'm going to run this house. I, you know, when, when I when, when I when my response to their power play is my own power play, it never ever like the dude who says ends to his wife. Well. Yeah, so like the guy who says to his wife, "You got to submit to me." It's not going to work. Like when I tell my daughter, "You got to submit to me," it just makes it worse. It just blows the whole thing up, and then it ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. And instead, the model of Jesus where I'm going to carry the sins of my family on my shoulders for them, I'm going to carry their desires and their pleasures and their sorrows on my shoulders, that's the best way for us all to learn this mutual submission where we're all working together as one unit, loving and serving each other.
0: Is that even possible? I'm thinking that there's somebody listening to us, husband, wife, and as they're listening to your words, they're saying, he's talking to me. When I think back over my 10, 15, 40 years of marriage, it's just been a constant taffy pull as to whose will will prevail today. Yeah. And that's the way it's always been. Does that person have a chance? Do they have a snowball's chance and you know where to suddenly turn from that and begin a life of submission? Yes,
1: for sure, as long as... They understand that nothing will be perfect this time this side of Jesus' return. And so by 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 beginning to mutually submit, you'll see almost immediate growth in a relationship. However, it's never perfect. Like it's there's never a group of people who are all completely selfless and just loving and serving. There's always a part of us for you know, for those of us who are Christians, the Holy Spirit is kind of is working on this and trying to shape and form us so that this this more and more goes away and we more and more look like the pattern of Jesus that we talked about you know loving himself and giving himself up for the church um but you know repentance is a big deal like uh, you can say you can be like okay guys in the family or you know me and my wife we've been together a long time and we've just it's been, it's been a rough go and we fought each other we've looked for that domination we've just decided the best thing to do is to live separate lives you know even if we're in the same bed and sitting at the same dinner table and you know, sitting in the same living room, watching the shows in the evening, we've just kind of decided to kind of leave each other alone. There's a, there's a very very good possibility that that can be healed and rectified by a mutual uh, a, 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 a mutual decision to love and serve. And, and when I just said mutual, there I paused because a lot of times it takes one person to do this first. First, and that's what when Jesus says the husband's the head of the wife, that's one of the things he means is that the, you husband, you do the Jesus move first. You submit first to your to your wife. But, but, you know you love and serve her first. You set the example of I give myself up for you, and teach the rest of your family this is the way we do things by your example. Now, again, it's not perfect. It's a great, great question because you know to the day that we die, we'll be arguing with our spouses and with our families and with our friends and neighbors, and and so repentance is a huge deal. To 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 have the kind of relationship with Angela where when I screw up, I can say you know what? I, I've been working on submitting to you for 10 years now and su- serving you and su- submitting, maybe not the best word, but but loving and serving and giving my life up for you for 10 years now. And I keep on blowing it. And again, will you forgive me for the way I talked to you You know, a few minutes ago? Will you forgive me for trying to run you? And for her to be like, to to buy into that and like every time be like oh yeah I'm willing to forgive you let's keep on working on this that's important that's super important
0: the Holy Spirit's in the middle of that somewhere
1: yeah for sure It has to be because our flesh isn't able to do that and
0: that's the advantage yeah that's the one the advantage that we dare not discard so let me cherry pick another couple of verses here and sure. see if I can create a train wreck Paul says in Galatians three twenty eight quote there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Right. But then, he says in Ephesians 5.23, quote, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So are husband and wife equals or not? Yeah, for sure.
1: I So first of all, just to go back and reiterate. Yeah, for sure they are equals? Yes. So, so just to go back and reiterate, when, 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 um, when Paul says husbands are the head of the wife, he doesn't, when the Bible talks about leadership, it doesn't mean, like, you're the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples in Mark whoa, whoa, chapter 10. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. Even as Christ is head of the church. Yeah, yeah. Or I might say, Lord of the church. Yeah,
1: sure. So go, go to Mark 10, um, where, where Jesus says, the, the verse I quoted earlier, I did not come to, to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And he says to his disciples, like, look, you guys want to be in charge. And that's the way that the Gentiles work they lorded over each other he says but it will not be that way with you whoever wants to be first must become last and whoever is the lord of all is the servant of all so when paul says to husbands in ephesians 5 when he says you are the head of the church the, the head of your family the head of your wife he does not mean, he means you are the servant that's what it means to be the head the lord whoever wants to be lord of all must be servant of all and that's why he says, and give yourself, give yourself up for her like Christ gave himself up for the church. And so, so first of all, you know, let me just reiterate that, that when we say that the husband is the head, it does not mean that it's his job to, to demand service and it's his wife's job to serve, because that's exactly the opposite. It's his job to be the slave of the family. It's my job when I make decisions about What we're going to eat for dinner tonight, which I actually hardly ever make that decision, but let's pick a decision that I might make, you know, or what are we going to watch on TV or, you know, where are we going to go when we decide to go out of town for the weekend? It's my job as a husband to make the decisions that I believe will better my wife. It's my job to decide for her what she wants and what she, like, to, not to decide what she wants, but to make decisions that reflect her desires and her goals to discern
0: what she wants
1: yes and you only do that in relationship of course so that's that's my precursor now your question are husbands and wives uh are men and women equal and i'll say i said yes absolutely and because paul says that in galatians 3 he says that if you've been baptized into jesus christ there's no slave or greek a a slave or free the socioeconomic differences that we used to define ourselves are now null and void but then of course
0: there are yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the slave says, well, he becomes a Christian, he goes, <laughs> I'm still a slave, Aaron. Right, yeah, yeah.
1: And and there's still genders. There's still Greek and Jew, and there's still uh, the genders are still male and female. There's still ethnicities, they're still Greek and Jew. But those are no longer our identifiers. It's you are no longer allowed to say I'm the man of the house. You aren't the that's not you you are you are baptized into Christ if you're a Christian. You're ultimate you are a man, you live in the house, but that's not your identity anymore. You are equals. There's no men and men and women are radically equal before God. And um, it's hard to look, it's hard to uh, if you can give me 30 seconds to do a little apologetics here, it's hard to overemphasize how radical this is when Paul says this. Nobody in the ancient world, absolutely nobody believed that men and women were equal. Read Aristotle, read Plato, read Cicero, uh, read the ancient uh, uh, Jewish scholars in the Mishnah. Uh, Read ancient Muslim scholars, read ancient Chinese scholars, read ancient Persian scholars. You can read anybody you want, serious writers, non-popular writers, anybody you want. They all agree that men are physically stronger, and so it's women's job to be protected by them but to serve them. It's the women's job to be the subordinates to the men, sexually, economically, socially, everything. It is only when you get to Christianity When Jesus has women sitting at his feet as disciples, like Mary, when when Paul says, from now on, those who are baptized in Christ are equal in Christ, and that means that there are no more male and female as separate identities. That is so radical. Now, I say that men and women are equal because Paul says it, because Jesus says it. I do not mean that men and women do the same jobs. Is the point guard and the low post player equal? Well, yeah, they're on the same team. It's not like one's more important than the other. But they d- definitely have different jobs. You don't want your you don't want your big man bringing the ball up the court, and, and neither do you want your you know your five eleven point guard posting up down low. It just doesn't work like that. God gives people different gifts, and so God gives God creates men in certain ways. God creates women in certain ways, and that's flexible. There are some you know, it's not like these are hard and fast rules where women have to do this, men's job to do this. Sometimes it's really, there are lots of relationships where, you know, just for instance, you know, a woman who's got an advanced degree and is smart or just loves her job works and the man stays home with the kid. It's not the, it's not the way it normally works in our culture, but it does work that way some ways. But men and women are equal. But there are different roles that a man and a woman has in a marriage and in a relationship. And that's just, I mean, anybody who's got kids knows this. I love my kids equally, but I treat them all completely different. It'd be impossible to treat them the same. And this is what Paul is saying. So men and women equal, and yet each have different roles. That's what we call complementarianism.
0: So if I were to summarize what you said there, no man can stand before God and claim the priority over a woman or Absolutely. his wife, I'm more important. I'm better than she is, just because I'm a man. No um, employer can claim higher ground over his employees before God, just because he's, he's the employer. employer, right?
1: Yeah. No ethnicity can be like, you know, we're the better ethnicity because and the, all those who are bad. And by the way, too, I mean, just again, go. To, this is off topic, a touch, but for Christianity, this is why racism is wrong. This is why, uh, this is why dividing up, valuing people based upon how much they own or how much money they make is wrong. is because baptized into Christ, we are all equals. Look, you want to get rid of baptism into Christ. If you're not a so let's say you're not a Christian, you don't believe that humans are made in God's image, you don't believe that humans are equal in Christ, then really you don't have a really good reason for believing that racism is wrong or economic inequality is wrong, or gender inequality. You have no reason to believe those things. It's, it's, only those who are, it's only those who believe that humans are made in God's image, people who believe that we are all one, bat, who are bat, who baptized into Christ, who really have a solid philosophical ground for believing that racism is wrong.
0: I hope for people who are listening to us that they're experiencing sort of something that I'm experiencing here, and that is we all know how the world works. Right. We know how the dog-eat-dog dog stuff works and what it feels like to get run over by somebody because they think that they're better than we are mm-hmm. somehow. What we don't get to glimpse all that often is this kingdom, the kingdom of God reality, which Mm -hmm. works, can I say, in almost the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, It's there. It's real. We are too busy getting run over by somebody to see it sometimes, but, boy, if you can catch a glimpse of it, it's really a lovely thing.
1: Yeah, and powerful too. If, if, If you've got somebody in your life who lives their life for others, It is just about the most attractive thing in the world, because like like, you're totally right, Chuck. Like most of us are like out there trying to get ours, you know. And when you find somebody who cares for other people more than themselves, who's actually reflecting what it means to to love and serve and submit, like Jesus loved and served us, then uh, it's a powerful, powerful thing.
0: Last question: There is mounting pressure, as we all know in our culture, to redefine the quality and character of marriage. One man and one woman for life is so old school, so Victorian and some denominations and non-denominations are redefining the institution of marriage to be more in tune with the current preferences of society. Do you feel this pressure? Uh, yeah. I am mean, so yeah, I, you know, I, I like to be
1: liked. I, I like to be relevant. I don't like when people think I'm old fashioned, but um, and also, too, I part of it honestly is I, I don't want people to side me with the you know the so called Christians out there who, who really are hateful and um, mean spirited and you know the Twitter Christians. I, I don't want to be sided with them. But but at the end of the day, you got to stick with what God has designed His world to look like because He actually knows how it works and. Marriage was designed to reflect who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their intimate, self-giving love for each other, eternal, infinite, self-giving love for each other. And when we monkey around with that, we start to chip away at what it means to be made in God's image. And I, I, I don't know of anybody, I, so, so far our culture, by and large, has not caught up with this reality, although when I talk to people, they're painfully aware of it in their own lives, is that living their lives Sexually, the way they want to has not made them happy. And yet, they're still convinced that it will. They're still convinced that, like, I have to experience the freedom and the satisfaction that was promised to me in the sexual revolution.
0: That's because the world reinforces that message every day. Nonstop, and their own biology, too. But, I, you know, I, one of the things I want them
1: to see is, like, you know, you're, you're actually, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do this. And, um, to do this God's way, where sex happens in, in a monogamous, covenantly committed marriage, it, you're just going to be happy. You're
0: going to be way more fulfilled. Well, we thought so much about this topic that we decided to devote two episodes to it. Episode 44 was our part one. Today is part two. And uh, we hope that we have shared some thoughts that might be uh, beneficial to you all. Thank you for spending some time with us here on Craving Answers, Craving God. We're very interested in your comments and questions. If you put stjamesglenncarbon.org into your search engine, you'll find a Contact Us option at the top of the page. Let us know what you think. For Pastor Aaron Miller, I'm Chuck Rather for Craving Answers, Craving God.